Well, friends, we are now going to come before God's Word. And so I know we haven't had the Bible reading yet. We will get to it, I promise. Uh, we are going to look at the letter to Philemon today. So if you do have God's Word, I'd encourage you, now would be a great time to open it up. Uh, if you're on the live stream, please do. I'd encourage you to have a paper Bible. And if you bring it as you come to church online, that would be a, a good way to prepare yourself as you come before God and His Word. But for us now, let me pray. Our good and our gracious God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that it holds your truth, it holds your story, it holds who you are and what it means for us to know you and be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray tonight as we open it up and we explore it together that you will speak clearly through me. And Holy Spirit, you'll be at work in the lives of all of us in this room and across the screen. Please shape us more into the likeness of Jesus. We pray together. Amen. I want to start with a question for you. What is your forgiveness threshold? What's your forgiveness threshold? How much forgiveness are you willing to tolerate? Now, I realize that's a bit of a hard question to go off the bat, so let me give you a bit of a scenario. Okay? Let me paint this for you. Let's say you're walking along and somebody knocks you. They knock you over in some way. Would you forgive them? Let's say you're walking along, they knock you a bit harder, and it's on your way to work, and they knock your coffin, and it goes all over the ground. Would you forgive them? What if they did those things, they knocked the coffee, and it spilled all over your lovely new shirt? Would you forgive them? What if you're walking, they knock you, they spill your coffee, and it's so much, it goes all over your phone and ruins your new phone? What about then would you forgive them? But how about they did it so hard, they did all those things and you fell over and you broke your arm. What about now? How's that threshold going? Are we getting closer? But what about if they do all those things, it breaks your arm, you go to the ER and it means you miss the birth of your first child? Do you forgive them? (laughs) And how about, would it make a difference the kind of day that you had? Would it make a difference if you knew the person? Would it make a difference if they said sorry? What about if you found out that they did it deliberately? Would you still forgive them? At what point do you hit your forgiveness threshold? Now, I get that that's like a little bit silly. It's a little bit arbitrary. But in the real world, forgiveness is a real big deal, isn't it? It's hard. Forgiveness is grueling. It's a little bit messy. It's costly. And also, it can be extremely complex. And I think the idea of forgiveness, we hold up really highly, don't we? We like the idea of forgiveness. We certainly like it if people are to forgive us. But when it comes to us having to practice forgiving others, it gets real hard real quick, doesn't it? Uh, It puts us in a very uncomfortable uh, position. And I think the words of C.S. Lewis captured it best when he said, We agree that forgiveness is a good idea until we need to practice it. Now, I don't know about you, that's certainly how I feel. You know, I literally preach forgiveness in this moment. I'm preaching forgiveness. But when it comes to actually practicing it, that's hard. That's where the rubber hits the road. And today we're going to explore this idea of forgiveness and the calling for us as disciples of the Lord Jesus to forgive others. And more than just to forgive, but to reconcile. 
to not hold vengeance, uh, to not hold someone's grievance against them anymore, but to restore towards uh, relationship and reconciliation. Now, we're not going to do like a big kind of biblical theology of forgiveness or anything like that. We're not going to look at the details of the big ins and outs. We're going to look at forgiveness in like a case study, looking at it through this letter to Philemon. And so I do want to say just at, at, at this point, just a little bit of, of the heart behind what's going on here and a bit of a caveat, if you like, in a way, is that I recognize that forgiveness is a very complex topic. It's a very complex issue at times. And the Bible is full of teaching and wisdom and about the practicalities of forgiveness. But there is wisdom that doesn't need to be applied, and especially if there's issues of domestic violence, if there's issues of Uh, serious violent crimes, things like that. There is a whole heap of other partial theology and things that we would need to consider when it comes to the practice of forgiveness. And I do want to recognize that. But that's not necessarily the the focus of what you and I are going to wrestle with uh, through tonight. We're going to look at this letter to Philemon and what it is that that God has to say through this letter that, that Paul wrote. So with all that in mind, let's kind of now narrow our focus. Now, if you know anything about Philemon, you really do have to narrow your focus to even find it in your Bible. I don't know if you've even heard of Philemon. I very rarely hear it quoted, uh, things like that. It is a little bit random. It's at the back of Paul's letters. Uh, It's one of the shortest letters in our New Testament. And it doesn't really have any big kind of theological nuggets, but it's immensely practical. It's a kind of theology-applied kind of letter. And our plan as we look at it together is to look at it through the eyes of Philemon. And he is the recipient uh, of the letter. And so we're looking at it what it means for us to offer forgiveness to others. Not so much what it looks like to ask for it, but what it looks like for us to practice forgiveness. Now as we approach it, I'm going to make an assumption that you kind of know about the Bible, the teachings of Jesus in a, in a basic sense, but you know nothing about the letter to Philemon. Because let's be honest, I knew nothing about the letter before I started investigating it uh, this year as well. So I want to give you a bit of a, an overview. And the first thing to know is that we're plonked in like the middle of the story. But not just the middle of the story, it's like the climax of a story. My wife Elizabeth, she's often watching TV shows or whatever, and I come in like an hour of the way through. And like something happens, I'm like, oh, why is that person doing this? Why is this person doing that? Elizabeth very lovingly either rolls her eyes and says, don't worry about it, Matt, or pauses it and then gives a half an hour discussion about what's happened. And then we go on from there. I want to give you that, but in about three minutes. Try to give you a bit of an understanding about what we're about to read. Paint the scene. You could call this previously in the life of Philemon and Onesimus. So first we have Philemon. Now what we can gather is that Philemon, he's a wealthy landowner uh, in the city of Colossae. And on one of Paul's missionary journeys, we don't know which one, um, but on one of them he, he meets Philemon and he shares the gospel with him and, he form, and Philemon becomes a follower of Jesus. And as we read in this letter, they have a really strong gospel partnership. And then uh, Paul leaves, goes on his way, keeps going. And Philemon becomes a church leader. He has a house and, and has a church in his home. And because in that day, big wealthy landowners, they have servants, they have slaves, and one of them is named Onesimus. And at some point between Paul leaving and this letter, Onesimus runs away. Gone. Uh, he, he, he leaves. 
but it seems as though something significant happened as well as leaving. It's like he seems to have stolen something or done something very significant um, against Philemon. We don't know what it is, but it's significant. Now, Philemon, uh, Onesimus runs away, and it seems he runs to Rome, very far away from Colossae. And in God's providence, he meets Paul, the very man, the apostle himself, who evangelized and brought his previous master Philemon to faith. Onesimus now meets. And Paul takes him in, and he disciples him. He shares the gospel. And now Onesimus comes to faith. And Onesimus now becomes a partner with Paul. And it seems that sometime after that, Paul decides, okay, Onesimus, it's now time for you to go back. It's time for you to return to Philemon because you guys are brothers in Christ. And there is something which is really preventing your relationship and you need to be reconciled. Now, we will kind of think, that sounds a bit silly. These guys are thousands of miles away. But no, they are brothers in Christ and they need uh, to be reconciled. And so Paul, he sends back Onesimus. Onesimus agrees. And Paul sends him back with this letter. The letter to Philemon. And so as Onesimus, he takes the journey all the way from Rome to Colossae. He goes with letter in hand and hope in his heart. Because he has very, very little to cling to when he returns to Onesimus. He only has the hope of the gospel. He has the hope that the grace which has changed Paul, which has changed him, and has changed Philemon, will mean that it's going to change the relationship that Philemon has to him. That Philemon maybe will offer him and extend grace. And so Onesimus goes. He arrives and he knocks. He knocks on the door of Philemon's house. And then he passes him the letter and Philemon reads it. Are we going to read all of Philemon? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, 
both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Thanks, Katie. What do you do if you're Philemon? What's your, what's your response at, at that point? Now, we actually don't know what Philemon does. That's the end of the letter. We get no follow-up. We don't know. But what is very, very clear is that Paul is saying the gospel, it changes your relationship with God, but because it changes your relationship with God, it changes our relationship with one another. Meaning Philemon, meaning Christian, there is a possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation because of Christ. Now, Paul doesn't say it in exactly those direct words, so let's explore Paul, uh, how Paul goes about it. Now, given the situation, did you find it a bit odd how Paul started? He started like kind of how he usually does, how he'd always start a letter. Hello from Paul, very warm, nice greeting, and then gets on to a, a thankfulness and a prayer. Um, that's what he did in verses 5 to, to 8. And it's, kind of, it's very intentional, though, what Paul thinks and prays for regarding Philemon. And he kind of draws out three really significant things about Philemon's identity and his character. And these things lay out the basis for his appeal to forgive Onesimus. The first thing is that Paul draws out his faith. Philemon clearly has a deep, a clear faith in the Lord Jesus. The second thing is that Philemon, he has a great love for people. His clear love in action for others. And then thirdly, there's a partnership in the gospel. There's a partnership with Paul. What Paul is doing there is he's sincerely and genuinely pointing out, highlighting the core characteristics of Philemon's Christian identity. Faith in Jesus, love for others. And that has brought joy, it's brought encouragement to Paul because that's about growing in maturity in faith, about glorifying God, uh, being his presence in the world. And that's refreshing the hearts of the people. Philemon, he's this guy who's seemed really, really encouraging and building up. And Paul, he's laying it down a bit of hints here, isn't he? That he picks up throughout the letter as he reminds Philemon of his Christian identity. So with this basis of, for the forgiveness laid out, Paul gets to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is Onesimus is standing there. Onesimus is before him. Now there's a heap of details to unpack in Philemon. I'd encourage you to, after this, look through it and see the little nuggets that you can take out but we're going to look at and draw out three things together. The necessity of faith, uh, sorry, the necessity of forgiveness, the cost of forgiveness, and then the beauty and the witness of forgiveness. So firstly, that necessity of forgiveness. It is clear forgiveness is non-negotiable here. It's not like an added extra for Christianity, for Christians. Forgiveness is necessary. 
And the primary reason that Paul lays out is because it's on the basis of love. It's on the basis of love, and Paul, he doesn't want to force it on him. He's not saying this is something that um, I'm going to demand you to do. This is your Christian character. This is who we are made to be, uh, to do it voluntarily out of our heart. And Onesimus, he is deserving of love to be refreshed in his heart. Paul is deserving to be refreshed in his heart in the same way that Philemon has been doing to the other brothers and sisters around him. But for, for Philemon... It's not just love for anyone. It's not love just for a random man named Onesimus. It's love for a brother. Philemon's forgiveness is more than just mercy. It's about reconciliation to a now who was rebellious but repentant Onesimus, a brother in Christ. Philemon's in Christ, Onesimus is in Christ, and because of that, there is to be forgiveness and reconciliation. Like two players on a soccer team, you know, you're on the same team, going the same direction. When we're Christians, that's us. When two Christians are at odds, hating on one another, disunified, that is not the Christian way. Friends, as, as Christians, we too are called to forgive one another. We're called to be reconciled. Forgiveness, it's not an additional added extra. With our brothers, with our brothers and sisters, it's necessary. As Jesus himself, when he prayed for us, when he prayed for his people in John 17, he could have prayed for all sorts of things, but he prayed for our unity, desired us to be unified. And Paul, as he said in Galatians, there's neither slave nor free, particularly uh, appropriate here. We are all one in Christ. We forgive because we, we forgive others because we have been forgiven by God. It's not easy. <laughs> I would never pretend that it's easy. It's hard. It needs to be worked out. It could take enormous amounts of time in order to forgive someone. But amongst it all, the imperative is very, 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 very clear. Because of Christ, it is necessary for us to offer forgiveness and to seek reconciliation with one another. Now, as I kind of say all that, and as I was preparing and this kind of thing, does that like kind of make you feel a bit uncomfortable in some way? Is there a bit of alarm bells ringing off? Like, surely it's not that simple, yeah? For, because with forgiveness, there is a cost. There is always a cost when it comes to forgiveness. It is never for free. And that is the second point that we're going to explore. The cost of forgiveness, that it's not free. And we know that, don't we? We know it in ourselves when we've experienced that forgiveness is raw, right? It's grueling, it's messy, it is costly. There is no free forgiveness. And on top of that, our natural inclination that you and I have is against forgiveness, right? Our natural response isn't to go around forgiving people. And I think Paul, he knows that so clearly. That's why he always says along the lines of Philemon, look at Onesimus and welcome him as if you would welcome me. Treat him as if you would treat me. Because he knows Philemon's natural inclination is going to be against Onesimus. He's hurt him deeply, in some way deeply. And Philemon's probably natural inclination is to have excuses, reasons. No, we can't forgive this guy. I've definitely felt that. And I'm sure you have too. Our natural inclination is to push forgiveness away. We rationalize it with the hurt that we've been caused, the pain that's been felt the problems that have arisen because of someone else's actions to us. And there's going to be a cost. There is a pain. 
And of course, for us to forgive someone, there is going to need to be a realignment of our heart. Now, Paul knows there's a very clear and tangible cost that happened between Onesimus and Philemon. And it seems as though it's almost inappropriate if he was to just send Onesimus back and it would all be happy. Paul recognizes that in verse 18, amongst a lot of things, but particularly verse 18, when he says, if he, being Onesimus, has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Paul, he's going to pay the cost. Forgiveness is not simply, just let Onesimus say sorry and we'll, and we'll just deal with it like that. It's not, let's just forget what happened. Let's not ignore the problem. It's not those things. Paul recognizes that there's an offense that needs to be addressed. There's a barrier that needs to be overcome. It seems in this particular case, it is financial. There's some kind of deep financial burden that's come about. And Paul is saying, I'll bear that cost. Like, isn't that extraordinary? That's extraordinary that Paul would say, I'll bear the cost of this other guy. What Paul is doing here is he's clearly embodying the gospel. The work of Jesus on the cross is not mentioned in this letter at all. But the fruits of it is vividly displayed particularly here in what Paul is, up, is saying that he will do. See, for us to be forgiven by God, there was a cost that needed to be paid. Like our debt, our transgression, our rebellion, our running away from God. And in Romans, in another one of Paul's letters, he said that deserves death. But the punishment was not borne by us. It was borne by Jesus. Jesus took the cost in our place when he stepped off his throne in glory in heaven down to earth as a human, dying on that cross where he battled evil, where he paid the cost for our sins so we can be forgiven, so you and I can be reconciled to God. He stood in our place. He substituted himself. And in this story here between Philemon and Onesimus, Paul is living that out in practice. He's not replacing it in any way. He's just showing the outworkings of that as it comes to relationships with one another. He's embodying the gospel. Friends, the cost of forgiveness is certainly real. It's certainly hard. It's, it's real and it's present. And it is going to be need to be born if we're going to forgive and be reconciled to one another. The way of Jesus is the reason. It's the mandate. It's the example for us to follow. So, of course, if we're going to need to forgive someone, it's hard, but God knows What's going on? He sees even into our deepest hearts and pain and hurt. He's experienced it himself in the Lord Jesus. He bore the cost. So for us, do not let the cost be the hindrance to us forgiving others. Because as we have been forgiven, we go and forgive others. However, when we do forgive others, the result is beautiful. The result is glorious and wonderful. And that brings us to our third point, which is the beauty and the witness of forgiveness. See, the beauty of forgiveness is that when we forgive another person, that is where flourishing can happen. That's where the blossoming of relationships uh, can return. The barriers are addressed and overcome. And of course, there's going to be nuance and, and the particulars will need to be worked out. But freedom is found in forgiveness. Now, Paul doesn't mention it here, but I'm, I'm sure you've heard about the idea that when we forgive others, that's also a blessing to ourselves, right? It's a wonderful thing that, that we experience when we forgive another person. 
whether or not they receive it or ask for it, whatever, we experience a relief and a freedom from some level of the pain that is only possible when we forgive. We experience that blessing. However, for Christian forgiveness is that and more. Because our forgiveness is not just about us. It's about the other person. Christian forgiveness is intended to be uh, expressing what Christ has expressed to us. Love to others. So they too can flourish. So they too can experience, experience blessing. And friends, when we do that, when we're a community that is forgiving, that we are reconciling to one another, that is going to be an incredible witness to our friends, to our family, to the world. Now, we don't know the outcome of this letter exactly. We don't know particularly what happened. But it's in your Bible, isn't it? It's there. And I think that we can assume that, well, Philemon, he didn't rip it up, he didn't burn it. And it seems as though Philemon did extend that grace and that forgiveness and brought Onesimus back into relationship with him as a brother. Now, can you imagine the effect of that in his world? In Colossae 2,000 years ago, that is completely against the culture. One, for a slave to become a brother, and let alone for this reconciliation to happen. That is an incredible witness to the work of God, to the gospel. It is so countercultural. And you imagine in our world, in our life, when someone has hurt you, one of your brothers and sisters, and we forgive them, we go through that process of reconciliation, and we're a forgiving, a reconciling community. What a witness to a world that likes the idea but doesn't want to live it out, sees the beauty. If they see that in us, what a witness to the gospel. Last week when David was sharing, he brought up uh, the Abdullah family. And when they forgave those, uh, that driver, that drunk driver who killed their three children and their cousin, our society, ourselves, we were astonished, weren't we? Our society was perplexed, they were intrigued, they were inspired even about this idea of forgiveness. There's now an I Forgive Day, and in the inaugural one that happened last year, they shared about what it means to be forgiven, to forgive others. They preached Jesus and the gospel. And the New South Wales Premier was there, the federal uh, leader was there. It aired on all the major news outlets. Forgiveness was a massive witness to the world. And friends, when we are a people who are reconciling with one another, that speaks so loudly to our culture about who we are, who we're created in Christ to be. We are now a new creation. And it is going to be beautiful and wonderful. A witness to the glory of God. Now I trust that as we've gone through this letter together, the Holy Spirit has been putting things in your heart. But let me say one thing clear and direct. Who is it that you need to forgive? Is there a person that you need to begin that process of offering and seeking reconciliation with? And of course, perhaps it's going to take time, take counsel, take a lot of prayer, coming before Jesus, that transforming work of the Holy Spirit in your life. But the encouragement and the mandate is clear. Because of our identity in Christ, because of out of love, we offer forgiveness and we seek reconciliation with one another, especially with our Christian brothers and sisters. And what a beautiful and flourishing community of God we'll continue to be when we do that together.
So please let me pray for us because I tell you what, we definitely need prayer if we're going to be these kind of people. Our good, our gracious God, we come before you asking that you continue to do an amazing transforming work in our hearts so that we can forgive and reconcile with our brothers and sisters. We know the only hope we have of doing this is because we have been forgiven by you uh, because of the work of Christ. So please do help us to be a people which live that out, who experience and embody a community which is shaped by the Lord Jesus himself. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.